what a week that was, hey? Like, our place has just been chaos. Um, yeah, to put it, yeah, so what, by midday on Monday, I had this huge pile of dirt sort of in front of my carport. The pile of dirt was like as high as my carport. Um, and there was this poor excavator driver trying to find this sewer line in our backyard. Uh, he spent all day Monday digging to try and find this and they put a new, council came, put a new stub on, all that sort of stuff and filled it all in Tuesday. And then by Tuesday lunchtime, I was going like a crazy man uh, trying to rip down my house. I took two weeks off work and I pretty much got it all with the help of Lukey and my dad done yesterday. Got a builder coming tomorrow to, just to say, yes, you've done enough. He'll probably say, no, you've got to do more, but <laughs> at least I've got another week to do it. So um, that's what's been going on in our house. It's been crazy just trying to knock down this old mortise and tenon house that was a stiff old box, except for the rotting bits, hey, Dad? Stumps. Yeah, and um, it was just never made to come apart. So it's been fun times doing that. Um, and this week, as we go through this, um, I didn't hit my thumb with a hammer, by the way, if you're wondering. It's a splinter, so I'm not, not that uncoordinated. Um, this, this whole week, this whole, whole business has just been a great sort of like um, refresher course, I suppose, in that life lesson of all thi- all, about all things, you know, that are, are good, anything that's really worth having, anything that's great to have, comes with a bunch of like, incons- like, uh, like inconveniences and difficulties, okay, for your kids out there that just are chasing the fairy tale, fairy tales, uh, are fairy tales until real life gets mixed in there and then it's just, it's just full of, if you want to tick those things off the wish list, it's full of concessions and, and different things and problems and other things that come your way, that, these problems, that concessions that must be made. So that's what I've been learning and being refreshed in, in this week, um, expanding our horizons outside of our backyard. This is probably a lot of, um, a lot of people in the world actually go through this sort of, this this idea that um, you know, they, they become sort of like infatuated with an idea and then this idea just becomes all-consuming and, and they see around them and they pursue this idea full, wholeheartedly and then it traps them in this place of realisation that everything that they were chasing after is actually not what they thought it was going to be in the first place. And so the people of Israel in our mega-series today, this is what the people of Israel are going to discover in a way, okay? They learn this as we begin the kingly line. So the time of the judges that we've been going through just recently in the mega series, the time of the judges is coming to an end with the final judge, Samuel. Adrian took us through Samuel um, lesson last, like last, last Sunday. And Samuel then comes, the, the task of Samuel, this last judge, he's anointing and he's appointing the new, the kings that come in and start this kingly line of Israel. So, um, I know that today we, like we've talked about the fact that today we're meant to be looking at and meeting God Almighty through Saul, King Saul, um, and we could look at him alone, but I want to take a little bit of a different approach today, and I want to focus on the people, okay? The people, um, the, uh, Israel's spiritual climate that called for a king over them, okay, that... Um, I want to investigate their heart attitude a bit, okay? And hopefully, as we see that, we see a little bit of ourselves in there and then we can change and we can ride our course back to God's good, good way. Sound like a plan? Okay, let's start. Let's read. First Samuel 
We'll, st- we'll um, jump into verse, sorry, chapter 8, and we'll read verse 1. This is where our story begins. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Okay, so here's our first point in this people's transition away from judges to king. Samuel here, we told, he's his last judge. He appoints his two sons as judges over Israel to judge, sort of like, you know, we're going to follow in daddy's footsteps. It's like, we'll keep the careers in the family kind of thing, so to speak. But notice there's, there's something really different about these two dudes, different from all the other judges that we've met in judges. Can anyone sort of see the difference? Anyone spot the difference between Samuel's sons and then the likes of Othniel and Ahud and Deborah and Gideon? Sorry? Yeah, that's in a way. In a way. See, in the case of all those judges that were in Judges, the biblical author makes a specific mention that God raised them up. All right? Ahud, you know, he's a left-handed man. Deborah, a, a wife, a prophetess, probably a mum. Uh, Gideon, a fearful man, but obedient through his fear. Right? And another bunch of misfits, these other judges. God's raised them all up for their task. When we get to Samuel's sons, the Bible makes a specific point that Samuel appointed them, them as judges, not God. All right? And so the elders of the people, whether they understand this or not about the judges' judges, whether they understand this about true judges or not, they come to Samuel and they say, hey, dude, your, your sons are not quality guys. They're taking bribes. They're greedy. They're, they're not fit to be judges. Okay, Give us a king like all these other nations around us. We want a king. Give us a king. But let's keep reading. Verse 6. The thing, this is, so this is the elders, the elders coming to Samuel and saying we want a king. This thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they're also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Okay, so here's the people. Instead of having an unseen, like, gee, I don't know, like almighty God over them as judge, they want a visible human man-king, just like everybody else. So they don't want to be different, they want to be just like everybody else, okay? And here's, it's interesting here, the Lord doesn't, he doesn't enforce his best judgment on the people. He doesn't say, hey guys, this is, this is no, that's bad for you, this is good for you, I'm going to make you do it this way. He doesn't. In his greatness, 
He allows his own people to go their own way and bring on themselves the consequences of their decisions. And as he tells, tells Samuel, he says, warn the people of this. So Samuel warns the people. He says, all right, guys, if you want a king, you can have one, but let me tell you what this is going to cost you, okay? You guys, your, your sons, they're going to be taken into the king's army, all right? They're going to be sent to war. Some of them are going to be commanders. He's going to order them around, okay? Then armies, kings, they need food. A lot of your sons are going to have to become farmers to look after this massive war machine kind of thing, okay? Then we're also going to need sons to be blacksmiths, armorers, whatever, to make chariots, swords, shields. Your daughters, they're going to be brought into the perfumery. We'd make perfumes. They're going to be brought into the kitchens to be bakers and cooks, okay? He's going to take some of your servants. He's going to take your livestock. He's going to have this massive drain on you. He's going to cost you a lot, okay? This is what God's told Samuel to warn the people about. So Samuel's relaying this to them. You're going to pay a heavy price for a human king. And one day you're going to realize that this is a massive cost on you and you're going to cry out to the Lord, but he's not going to listen to you in that day. And so all of the people were scared and they said, no, we don't want that. No. <laughs> no, they don't. Let's read verse 19 of chapter 8. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So, the people have refused this warning from Samuel, the God and Samuel. They've decided what they want and they're happy to push that problem to tomorrow. So this is like, hey, dear future Israel, uh, we wanted a king, so we asked and we got one. Um, you can deal with the future problems, yours sincerely, past Israel or current Israel or something. This is kind of like, you know those, you know, buy it now, take it home, no deposit kind of things and pay for it later on high interest after your own interest has worn off. This is like this thing. I had a mate in uni that bought this crazy gaming machine from like Harvey Norman, paid like way overinflated prices for it. He was a delivery driver at Domino's. He paid like, you know, 10 bucks a week on it or something. It, cost him, it took him like eight years to pay off and it was just like an obsolete pile of junk by the time he paid it off. Okay, That's, it's this kind of mentality. This is where Israel is. So here we have this period of judges. It ends. People see this bad example in Saul's, in, sorry, in Samuel's sons, and they call for something different. They call for a new earthly king. Okay, yet they don't realize that in doing so, they're not actually, you know, they're actually replacing God with a human king. The people, they, they want like, um, let's investigate the people's heart attitude for a bit. They, they want like a dominant, uh, they want dominance through a powerful king, all right? That, someone that they can uh, identify with and someone that they can unite under, all right? They want to claim power and status like all the nations around them. They want to win battles. They want to take over land. They want to grow their power. They want a mighty, visible champion that they can all get behind, a visible 
presence to the nations around that they have a king and they're a, a, a king that will judge them, that will go before them and fight their battles for them. Gee, those three things sound familiar. Who was doing that before they asked for a king? Judging, going before, fighting battles. God was doing that for them. And they've replaced, they've called for a replacement for God. And, but God here, he just doesn't enforce his will on them. And he's given them like that full disclosure form that they've signed off on. You know what you're getting yourselves into. Let's see the people go their own way. They get their human king. So, chapter 9, enter the perfect king. All right, enter the perfect king for the people, hey? 1 Samuel chapter 9, let's read, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Well, 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 hold up, hold up. This guy, hoo-hoo. Okay, if, if you could choose a king from an earthly perspective, what greater attributes does anyone have than what this guy's got? Hey, he's good looking, he's wealthy, and he's a giant. Well, he's really tall. Okay, he's from a rich family. So wealth, man, wealth is such an important ingredient for someone who wants to gain power. You think about all the wealthy businessmen and women who have a whole heap of wealth that use it to sway political parties to and from, parties on all sides of the fences, often concede their standards and whatever and give in and, and, and are swayed from side to side because of what their financial backers want, okay? And he's handsome, okay? Good looks go a massively long way in persuading people to join your cause. There have been studies done um, that have shown that more attractive people get employed quicker, move up the ranks quicker, and are paid more than their less attractive co-workers, I knew there was a reason I'm not a CEO by the time I was 30. There had to be a reason. I knew it. And a similar thing for being tall, okay? Like, which Saul also is. He's massively tall. He's head and shoulders taller than anybody else around him. So naturally, people are forced to look up to him. This is where that phrase comes from, all right? Height helps. It gives you that naturally sort of dominant posture over people. It's subconsciously intimidating and just helps get people on side with your authority. So these three traits of Saul make him sort of like, if the Chinese were manufacturing an, a, a king, they would have, they'd make him like this. Okay, you know how they manufacture base, basketball players and they, because they're just into all that crazy stuff. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, this, these th- three, th- three things from, from an outsider's perspective make Saul look like the most best king ever. Hey, most ideal candidate for king. Who could be better than this guy? Let's get behind him. And it's crazy how much everyone's sort of infatuated with this guy initially, especially even Samuel, like at, at Saul's sort of like ordination in front of the nations later on in um, chapter 10, I think, when Saul's anointed king. Even Samuel's sort of getting caught up in this. He's just like, hey, do you see? Do you see this guy who the Lord has chosen? Like, there's no one like him in all the people. All right, even Samuel, this man of God, he's, he's caught up in this 
this saw guy, he's the man. So, and Saul's a great king, initially. He's a competent military leader, he's courageous in battle, he wins plenty of battles, he, he solidifies the nation amongst the, the enemies around them. He becomes a popular king and no one thought from the start that he wouldn't be. But he falls short and he, his downfall begins with offering um, unauthorised sacrifices um, and when God commands him to go out and completely, like completely wipe out the Amalekites, even their livestock, Saul keeps the best of the livestock for himself, the healthiest. He keeps king, the king of the Amalekites. He keeps Agag for himself. And Samuel comes, thank baby. Samuel comes and meets up with him and, and, and Saul's like, hey man, good news. I destroyed the Amalekites. And Samuel's like, well, what's those cows that I, and sheep that I can hear? Like, what's that about? And Saul tries to cover this up with this nice, pious veneer. He wants to cover up what his heart truly wants. And then he goes on, makes up this story about the livestock being for a sacrifice for God, blah, blah, blah. But Samuel sees through it. And in verse 22 of chapter 15, Samuel says, he's had enough, Samuel's had enough of this, and he says, has the Lord, he says what Samuel's speaking to Saul, he says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And he goes down a little bit. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then here's probably one of the really saddest parts in like, that we, one of the saddest parts we read in the Bible and the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. He leaves King Saul. And from that moment on, his reign just sort of winds down. It like spirals down into this mess of doing things in his own strength, um, treating the things of God like a fix-all kind of things that he can just call on whenever he wants, whenever he needs a hand, he just calls on, he thinks he can just call on the Lord for help like that. He expends this crazy amount of unnecessary energy just hunting down a boy, David, out of this sort of jealous rage that he has going on in him. And so this is where we're going to just leave the story of King Saul. All right, this is where we're going to leave him. And I want to come back to Samuel's words in that verse 22. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth about God that I want us to just pick up and run with today, okay? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So, to, to paraphrase this a little bit so we can open it up and understand it a little bit, Samuel's, Samuel's sort of saying, Saul do you think God wants you to be doing these sacrifices out of appearances or sort of out of empty ritual? Kind of like a magic lucky charm? Mate, you got it all wrong, okay? He wants you to listen to Him and, and just do life truly His way. Not fake your way along with this sort of religious veneer sort of thing. 
See, I think the reason, because let's point out actually that God chose Saul to be king. He chose a perfect candidate. The people loved him and the people thought that he was amazing, but God chose him. And I think the reason God chose Saul as king is that he wants to point, he wanted to point out to the people their own issues because they've got the same issues that Saul had in the heart, okay? He, like God was showing the people their own wayward actions through Saul as their king. They, the people only really wanted to attach God. They only wanted to sort of attach their God-following ways onto their existing life as a sort of like this lucky charm idea instead of, instead of changing their whole life to be God-obeying. Does that make sense? And here's the thing though, 3,000-ish years later, God's people haven't changed much. They still, well, actually, no, let's not say they. We own this. We still want, we still want to bolt our Jesus-following ways onto our existing lives. All right, we don't actually want to then take our Jesus-following ways and make it our core that our life then is lived through. We want to sort of take it and just, just sit it there. Don't get in the way, just bolt it on there. Rather than, put it in here, change this out and put this in here. The people wanted a king, just like everybody else around them, like all the other nations around them. They wanted a king. They wanted a human leader, okay? They wanted power. They wanted to be dominant. They wanted to be a dominant force. They wanted to be able to intimidate those people around them who were different than them. They, different than them. they wanted to be great. This is what the people wanted. This is why they wanted a king like they did. And so, okay, so Aussie Christians, as we see our country just going to this, like changing out of this idea where like Christianity was like the religion, and we see our whole nation sliding to this place of, and let's be honest, we're probably a little bit worried about it, but we see it sliding towards this post-Christian sort of culture. What do we Aussie Christians want? Do we want a human leader? Do we want our power back? Like, do we want to be a dominant force again? Do we want to be able to intimidate those around them who are different than us? Do we want to be great again? You see where I'm going with this? Much of the ideals that we as Christians, we strive after and we, we sort of agitate for change in, in society and politics and everything like that, it's not actually Jesus-like, all right? We think, we're thinking we need to be like the culture around us that gets big and strong and powerful and just dominates. And we think that we can like put our morals on people who just don't know Jesus and don't care, like... That's sort of like enforced morality. And where, like, where does enforced morality get anybody? Like if we make people do things a certain way, where does that get anybody? You see what I'm saying? Like, we've got we to gotta let people know Jesus first. And they're only really, there's only really going to be lasting change when they know Jesus and the Holy Spirit is pumping away and burning inside of them. And changing them from within. 
We can't put our morals on other people around us through force. It just doesn't happen. So, my true Jesus-loving Christian sisters, brothers, okay, we need to be careful that we aren't thirsting after our soul instead of God. We need to be careful that we're not looking after, like we're not looking to, and we're not like fixating on all the desirable attributes of wealth and a beautiful, comfortable life and social dominance and everything like, you know, like a conservative or a progressive political party or something might promise you whatever your flavour is, okay? They might promise to provide that, but we've got to be careful we're not lusting after that, okay? We need to be careful we don't pin out all our hopes on like a mere human leader or a political system instead of our true God. All right, no political system, no talking head, like no politician should be our king. You know, like so many people just like flood in, like because the majority of us we love our conservatism. So let's let's pick on that because it's probably the most painful and it's close to home. A lot of us love, you know, like our the people that go out there and they speak harsh sort of conservatism values to the whole world, and we get behind them and we champion them. But why, like? the Jordan Petersons and the Ben Shapiros and, you know, the whoever's in Australia, Andrew Boltz maybe, okay? These guys aren't our king and they shouldn't be our king, all right? And even politicians like our ScoMos or our Donald Trumps or whatever, they should not be our king. That's not our king. Our true king became a human, and he lived a very non-wealthy life. He lived a very non... He was very probably non-handsome. He was very probably non-tall. He was probably everything that King Saul wasn't. Right? But he was our real king. And our real king, Jesus, he's, he's our example to not seek after power. He's our real example not to seek to have a right view of money. He's our example to love our enemies. And because we, we, we're told, like, 3,000 years ago, Samuel's telling Saul, mate, obey God. So if we're going to obey Jesus, if we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount and we obey Him into a, with our whole life, which is of utmost importance, that means to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Not get the right political party in power so we can dominate and wield power over them. All right? The people that want us squished out of society are the people that we should be loving and serving and praying for. So that as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we may be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. Okay, so as we look towards that coming kingdom of heaven and that true king, our true king Jesus, that will reign forever in that kingdom, he's the king that we should be desiring after and we should be following after. Thank you. Uh, let's, um, let's just pray and we'll just go to communion. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us to understand who you are as our king. You are our king who was, came as a servant. You sacrificed yourself. You were the king who sacrificed himself for his people. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We thank you so much for that. Make us truly thankful, Lord, of this bit of remembrance that we have 
of you today as we come and we take the bread and we take the bit of juice, Lord. Help us to understand more of who you are, what you've done for us, how much you love us. And change us, Lord. We need your help. Give us a right view, Lord, of what a kingdom and what a king should be. Amen.